Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Sometimes we lay stuff down for a season, for a moment, only for him to restore that back into our lives. But it's a good heart check on what are, what are you devoted to? Are you devoted to the promise or the one who gave the promise? Always be devoted to the one who gives the promise. The promises are great. They're great. The promises will never get you to heaven, but never fulfill your life. The one who grants the promise, the one who dishes out the promise, he is the one. Believing isn't always seeing clearly, but it's more like trusting the one who's speaking. Much like leading a blindfolded person, you promise that they won't run smack dab into something. They can't see worth a darn, but they listen and they trust your directions. Abraham's experience wasn't exactly easy, but he did know God's voice. Trusting was the only thing that he could do when God told him to give up someone very dear to his heart. It wasn't a choice for Abraham. It was a matter of faith. This is what Pastor James is telling us today. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. As Pastor James begins his message, Abraham and Isaac. If you guys don't mind, can you turn to Genesis 22, 454, Genesis 22, we're actually in the book of Hebrews, but we got to go to Genesis 22. This is a good story. This is a familiar one, probably, for most of us. This is a story about faith being tested. Uh, has, has your faith ever been tested by God? You're like, uh, no, no, Never. Because it's solid. It's, I'm a hundred percenter. Um, yeah, so no. If you're honest, and if you've been a Christian for any certain amount of time, you know that your faith gets tested, okay? So I'm having you guys go to 22 because we will jump over into Hebrews 11 in a second, but I want to cover the, the story itself because Hebrews chapter 11, 17 through 19, really provides us some great insight into it. But 22 of Genesis tells us the whole story. So look at this. You got Abraham. You guys know who Abraham is? He's the father of the Jews. He's not born or even from Israel, okay? He's not, not at all. He actually was from east of Israel, and he was, a, uh, he was an idol worshiper. I don't know if you know that. Joshua chapter 24 talks about that. He and his family were worshiping idols, and God got a hold of Abraham. His name was Abram at the time, told him, I want you to you and Sarai, her name gets changed to Sarah later, but I want you guys to move to this land. It's the promised land. It's a land that I'm going to give you and all of your descendants. Problem is they can't have kids. They can't have kids. So they go their almost their entire lives barren, childless. Sarah is 90 years old when she gives birth to Isaac. Abraham is 100 years old. He did have a child before that, with, his, with the maid servant, and that's Ishmael. But Ishmael, even though he is a child of Abraham, he is not recognized by God as the promised child. It's a big deal. He's recognized, but he's not the fulfillment of a promise. Okay, He's the fulfillment of the flesh. That's that thing when you don't want to wait for God, and you want to make something happen, and you take it into your own hands, and then you end up with a mess. Usually, that's what happens. Okay, That's what happened for Abraham. 
The promise came true for him and Sarah to have a baby. They had Isaac. His name means laughter because when Sarah found out, she overheard. She was eavesdropping on Abraham and these men who showed up. And I said, a year from now, you're going to have, Sarah's going to have a baby. And she started laughing, right? And so, and then she got called out on that. And uh, now they had a baby. His name's Isaac, which technically means laughter. And that baby has grown to be a man in this story. I know it's going to say child, but we need to understand that this is not like a small child that Abraham has with him. If it is a small child, then we have some other issues with Abraham. And why are you so mean to your kids and making them carry a bundle of lumber all the way up a mountaintop? Okay. So that's, that's a different issue, right? But he's, Isaac is, is more of a, what we would label him as a, a young man, a young man. Okay. So that's just context getting us to chapter 22. Verse one, it says sometime later. So again, this is later after Abraham has received the promise. Something he waited his entire life for has finally shown up. And we need to frame this out because he and Sarah have been longing for a kid for, my goodness, 80 years. I mean, we don't know when they got married, but I mean, there's a good chance that they got married. Let's say they got married at 20 years old. Abraham's 100 when he has, when he, this promise is fulfilled. So 80 years. And then finally, Isaac's there. And you can imagine that Abraham finally receiving that promise of Isaac and, and how, you know, just the place that, that he would have within Abraham's heart. Okay. I've waited 80 years for this promise. And now this promise is here and, and he receives this promise and he takes this in. And, and if Abraham is like us, the danger there is the promise can become everything. Even better than the promise E, if that's how you say that, right? The one who granted the promise. And because Isaac is a promise fulfilled uh, by God, given to Abraham and to Sarah, God has every right to step into Abraham's life and say, hey, Abraham, I need to make sure that I'm top priority within your life. I need to make sure that the promise that you've received hasn't gone to your head or taken over your entire heart. And so that's where God can step in and he can test Abraham's faith. God can step into your life and he can test your faith whenever he wants, whenever he wants. And it's actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing because him stepping into our lives and testing our faith is part of what makes us grow stronger in our relationship with him. We are doing our life groups, watching through the video series, Matt Chandler video series on the book of James. And this has been already talked about, of uh, rejoicing when these trials come upon you. And part of a trial, could, you could technically say, would be a test by God. Because it's meant to strengthen your relationship with him. It's also meant to kind of wake you up and, and, and cause us to, to really check our hearts and say, like, where am I at? Where am I at? And that's the, the, the healthiest thing you could do within your Christian walk is, is kind of have that, those checkups, right? It's like, okay, Lord, where am I at? Are you still king? Are you still sitting on the throne of my heart? Or has something, or have I placed something else there instead of you? I'm not saying Abraham did that with Isaac, but there's a good chance that he probably did. And if he's a normal guy, which he is, I could understand that. I could understand that. Sometime later, God tests Abraham's faith. Abraham, God calls out. Abraham replies, yes, here I am. 
Verse two, take your son, your only son, or your, your only begotten son, as your New King James, ESV, and all those other translations would say. Take your one and only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. There's the indication. There's a little window into the, the heart of Abraham, whom you love. Of course, he loves his son. It, that, that goes without saying. But the fact that it's mentioned in there, and it's also, it's amplified to a certain extent of whom you love so much. Abraham, I'm going to test you. I'm going to test you. I'm going to test your faith. And yes, God can test us. God doesn't tempt you. We know that from the book of James. God does not tempt. He can't be tempted, and he does not tempt. But he does test. And if you're a good student, you love tests, don't you? No, you don't. Nobody likes tests. No, tests are horrible. It's a horrible idea. Who came up with that? Um, anyways, uh, what a, I, I don't know. I, I took tests really well, and I never studied for them, okay? That's, I think that's how I made it out of school. I don't know. And some sort of miracle happened. Never did homework, but somehow they let me go. Tests are, it's, it's horrible, but it's also that, it's just that reminder of like, okay, where are you at? Hey, Abraham, you have a son. His name is Isaac. You love him so much. Let me ask you something, though, concerning this one whom you love so much. He says, go to the land of Moriah. It's at Mount Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Like, this is totally radical. This is completely just crazy because Abraham is living in the land, the promised land, and also living within the land are the Canaanites who have no problem with child sacrifice. Zero problem with child sacrifice. In fact, that's part of what they do. They like murdering babies. They really like it. It's how they sacrifice to their gods. Molech. They love that. It's a part of their practices. And here's Abraham, he doesn't follow their gods, and he doesn't follow the gods uh, that he left behind. He follows the one true God who is totally different from all these other gods. And now this God is saying, I want you to sacrifice your kid. So you got to really put yourself, because the problem with us is we know how the story ends sometimes. That's why we always encourage you, put yourself in the story. Put yourself there next to Abraham, who's 100 plus years old, maybe 120 years old. And there he is with his kid, the the promised one from God, whom a nation's going to come out of. The Jews would come from this seed. And God's like, hey, by the way, that one and only child that you love so much, I want you to give him up. I want you to sacrifice him. So, we sometimes elevate Abraham to this level of like a spiritual giant where he'd be like, whatever you ask, Lord, I will do. He is obedient, but I would wonder if within his heart and his mind if he's not questioning like, this doesn't sound right. <laughs> like something's not right here. What, I, what I'm so grateful for from the book of Hebrews, which we'll see in a second, it does give us a little bit more insight into the heart and mind of Abraham But here's Abraham, and God's like, hey, I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to lay him down on an altar for my sake. Will you do that? And and ultimately, whatever Abraham was reasoning with in his heart and mind, we don't know because it doesn't tell us, but for the most part, but what we do know is he said, yeah, I'll do that. And there'll be times where God shows up within our lives, and he says, hey, that thing that you love so much, I want you to lay it down as a sacrifice. And we say, 
I don't think so. (laughs) The best thing to do is to say, yeah, you got it. Why? Because you trust him. Because if he asks you to lay something down, especially if it's something that has been given to you by him, you can trust that he knows what to do. He knows what to do. And just because we lay something down for a moment doesn't mean we lose that thing forever for the, for the sake of, of Christ. Sometimes we lay stuff down for a season, for a moment, only for him to restore that back into our lives. But it's a good heart check on what are, what are you devoted to? Are you devoted to the promise or the one who gave the promise? Always be devoted to the one who gives the promise. The promises are great. They're great. The promises will never get you to heaven, will never fulfill your life. The one who grants the promise, the one who dishes out the promise, he is the one. Make him top priority. Enjoy the blessings, enjoy the promises and all that good stuff. Sometimes if the Lord takes something out of your life or asks you to lay something down for a season, the best advice I can give you is just to do it and then see what he does with that. See what he does with that. Because what we also know from the book of James is that he is a good father. He's a good father. He's not a mean father. He's not a vengeful father for the most part in the sense of he will bring justice, yes. But we always walk around with this fear of like, God's gonna get me, God's gonna squash me. And that's just not, that's not how, who he is. And it's not who he is in this chapter either. He's not being a mean God by asking Abraham to lay down Isaac. God already knows how the story's gonna work out. And Abraham obeys. It says the next morning he got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he, this is Abraham, 100 plus year old Abraham, he chopped wood for the fire or for a fire for the burnt offering. He did that. You know how many servants Abraham has? Hundreds, hundreds. He's even got a kid, Isaac, go chop that wood. Why? Uh, Just no, Abraham's like, I'm going to chop the wood. This is my deal. This is my story. I don't need anybody else to chop the wood on this one. I got it. God's asking me to do something. If anybody's going to chop the wood for the sacrifice, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. He got up early. He chopped the wood. He set out for the place that God had told him about. Mount Moriah also, just so you understand, would be there in Jerusalem. The thought there is that, you know, that's ultimately where the temple would be built. Some would say that's, that's the same area where Jesus would be sacrificed. That makes a whole lot of sense. But there within the region of Jerusalem, before Jerusalem existed for the most part, that's where he's headed to. He's headed to the same region where somebody else would lay down their life and be the sacrifice for all of us. So they go out to the place he told them about on the third day. That sounds kind of familiar, right? The third day, Jesus, death, third day. Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely a type. On their journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further, a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. That statement says it all. God says, go sacrifice your boy. Abraham says, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Then Abraham gets to the place and Abraham tells his two servants, hey guys, me and the boy are continuing on, but don't worry about it. We're going to go worship God. And then we, me and Isaac will be back. That's faith. Well, didn't God tell you to sacrifice your son? He's like, absolutely. Well, then why are you saying that you both are, y'all are coming back? Because that's what's going to happen. 
Well, how does that work? It's faith. I don't think Abraham was too worried about it, honestly. I think God told him what to do. He answered that. He was obedient to that. And he just trusted in God the whole way. Says verse six, Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulder. That's how we know he's not a small little child. I don't know how some of the story Bibles maybe depict that as him as like a little boy. There's child labor laws that are being violated right there, if that's true. No, they didn't have those back then. But no, Isaac was a, was a, a strong young man and he was gonna carry the wood up, up this, they call them mountains, they're not really mountains, they're more hillsides, okay? While he himself, this is Abraham, carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have fire and the wood. He's doing the math. He's like, oh, I, think we're, I think we forgot something. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? See, apparently Abraham didn't let Isaac in on this little story, all right? Of like, hey, oh yeah, uh, I was going to tell you about that when we got there, right? You're on a need-to-know basis, Isaac. Well, you'll, I'll let you know. He's like, hey, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's like, oh, this is awkward. I was hoping this wasn't going to come up. But no, Abraham, look at, look at his response. He says, uh, God will provide a sheep or a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The uh, King James says God will provide himself as an offering. He'll provide himself. Abraham's letting Isaac know, don't worry about it. God's got it. Don't worry about it. God's got it. So Isaac's like, okay, cool. Until he gets up to the top of the mountain. Then he's like, wait, why are you tying my hands together? And why am I laying on this altar that we just built? I thought you said God's going to provide. Oh, he will. He will. So they get up there. It says they arrived at the place where God had told them to go. Abraham built an offer and arranged the wood on it. And he, then he tied his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up a knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Like, he's going for it. He knows, like, you, and you know probably this dude is probably like, man, I believe you, God. I'm trusting you. I'm tr- any moment now, God. Any, you got something to say. You, you just, but he was, he knew if I, if I sacrifice my son, God's going to raise him from the dead. He's going to raise him from the dead. That's crazy faith. That's like, that's radical faith is what that is. It says, at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You, you, you have this reverence towards God. You have not withheld from me, even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. To this day, people use that name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So within that little cool story, the rest, I mean, the rest kind of sums up the rest of it there, but in chapter 22, that's what God called Abraham to do. Turn over to Hebrews 11 now. Giving you guys a heads up on it for a little bit, but so that's, this is like just crazy. You finally got the son, you were promised. God's gonna make a nation out of him. And then God shows up with this radical just test in his life. He was like, you trust me, right? Yeah, I trust you. Okay, go sacrifice your kid. But this is the one kid that you said you're going to make a nation out of. Where did I put this? 
Where I put this within my heart, my mind, this doesn't make any sense. Logically, it makes no sense at all. And, and Abraham, at no point in his, in his life, in his walk with God, post-Isaac being born, are we hinted at at all that there was going to be another promised kid to Abraham and Sarah. He knew that Isaac was the one. They knew that emphatically. They absolutely knew that. Verse 17 of Hebrews 11, it says this, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. It was, it was strictly an act of faith. And, and faith is, it's his hope. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith is the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. He had complete hope and faith and trust in who God is and the fact that God gave life and God would restore life if he wanted to. If God called him to sacrifice his son, to physically sacrifice his son, Isaac, Abraham knew 100% he will raise him from the dead. That's radical faith. That's like, man, that's impressive faith is what that is. It was by faith that he obeyed, that he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham, who'd received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Verse 18, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. It's the promised kid. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So Abraham he did reason within himself. And he knew like, man, if God's calling me to lay this down, he can raise it back up to new life. And that's really what I, I want us to set our hearts upon. If there is something in our life, and, and, and we, we always associate bad stuff with this, but I'm not even talking about the bad stuff. Um, that's already been called. That's a, you've already been called by God to lay those things aside. I'm talking about good things. I'm talking about things that God has given you, promises from God that he has given to you in your life, where sometimes he will show up in your life and say, hey, I want you to lay that down. I want you to lay that down. He can take what we lay down for his sake and restore it back to new life. In fact, you can get it back even better, even better. And your relationship with God can be stronger as a result of your obedience and your trust in who he is. We know this. Isaac was a man of faith as well. He was a man of faith as well. His name comes up next in Hebrews. He, he trusted in God himself. He had his own relationship with God. That wasn't predicated so much. It was, he wasn't like riding his dad's coattails, so to speak. He had his own relationship with God. And you can imagine as Isaac is going up this mountaintop, carrying the wood meant for a sacrifice, and begins to put all the pieces together of like, okay, we built this altar, we laid down this wood, and there's rope, there's a knife, there's fire, but there's no sacrifice. I think I'm the sacrifice. I can tell you this, again, they can't be dogmatic on this, but I think if Isaac wanted to take Abraham, he probably could have. Hope 
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We have story after story of the people who followed God through every hardship and trial, but the ultimate hero of our faith is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus knew every temptation, every trial, and every suffering. He chose to lay down his life for our sake. There's nothing that you can face in this world that Jesus can't understand, nothing that he didn't face himself. And that right there is the greatest hope that we have in this life. You're not alone. You belong to Jesus, and he understands every tear. And one day you'll rise again and be with him forever in paradise. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is teaching through a series called Heroes of the Faith. Each person we study reveals more and more of the Father's glory, his patience, his faithfulness, and his goodness. If you missed one or more of these messages, I encourage you to go back and listen to them again. You can find them at breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. And be sure to come back next time as Pastor James continues right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, babe.